0: Novel yeah? What, that one about the, the place that blew up? Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. I want to. Spoilers, the, the place blows up. It sounds
1: fucking grim. Yeah. And I feel like I'm going to end up delaying it the way I delayed seeing John Wick for six years because of the dog. I didn't want to see a dog get hurt. Yeah. I, I worry that even though right now this is the cultural zeitgeist that we've all got to be a part of lest we fade away into nothingness. I, I, I don't know if I can get on the Chernobyl train because I don't want to have a sad time.
0: I'm just not in the mood for anything sad right now either. Like, I think about what I want to get around to watching. Like, I want to watch season two of of Agretzko finally came out. I want to watch that. That's That'll probably be an alright time. I don't want to get sad about how a whole place blew up and it was quite a sad experience. And, you know, you can't go back in there no more because it did a big blow up. Well. Wow. You say that, well, wow. but there was that
1: legendarily famous documentary, The Chernobyl Diaries. Yeah. Utter shit film. I saw that in the theatre. The, that extended Goosebumps episode, and not a good one. How are you, Gavin? <laughs>
2: no, I'm fine. The music's pretty good in that show. I like the music in it. It's, it's definitely tough going yet.
1: HBO lucked out there. Not, not with Chernobyl happening, but... <laughs> But there was that whole meme about everyone cancelling their HBO subscriptions after Game of Thrones. And they got desperate with it. Like, they started spamming my inbox with what to do after Game of Thrones. Basically, on their hands and knees, begging me not to cancel. Uh, and then they hit, uh, you know, out comes Chernobyl, and everyone's talking about that.
2: They're also, they've got this thing called Euphoria, which they're advertising as the most explicit. Like, they're saying there's 16 dicks in one scene. So, like,. You can tell they're missing that uh we we, we want people to watch our shows.
0: <sighs> they are they're looking for their next this is basically pornography, but we, we we gave it enough story yeah. that it doesn't just seem like the preamble to the porn.
1: Gavin. Yeah, Gavin. Yeah. Sixteen dicks in, in one scene, did you say?
2: Yeah, it could be more actually. I, more. I'm just I'm more. rattling oh, how, that how? off the top of my head. It could be more than sixteen What what is this
1: what show called? 16? I need to Google how many dicks. Euphoria. Euphoria. It's it's quite... Do you, do you see them all, all out? I don't
2: know. I haven't seen it, but that's what I do heard. Do you see
1: them going in and out? And then in and out again?
2: <laughs> Apparently, it's the most explicit <laughs> thing ever put on TV. So
1: It's the most
0: hardcore porn that's ever existed. That's how they should market it. Here is the first thing I've read about this show when Googling it. Uh, HBO had to edit out 80 dicks from one scene in ah, Euphoria. 80. 80. 80, 80 dicks.
2: Geez, I was, I was punching a bit low with 16 there then
0: Yeah, that's just a tiny
1: bit And I was very impressed with 16 <laughs> 80, 80 is
0: mind-blowing That's mega I'm reading this now um, HBO cut about 80, 80 dicks out of one locker room scene in the second episode Because there were just too many dicks And this is HBO You have to have what? a lot of dicks for there to be too many for HBO What a big locker room that is a locker... Did you say a locker room scene? Yeah, you know how I just said they edited out 80? Um, according to the Hollywood Reporter, there are still 30 full frontal flashes in the episode.
2: Is this in the premiere episode? Is it? This
0: is episode two, I think. Oh,
2: okay.
0: Episode
1: two. In order for there to be 80 dicks visible in a locker room, that needs to be an open plan locker room. <laughs> with the lockers lining the walls and nothing in the middle.
0: You have to be able to see 80 on screen at once. Before edits, there were 130 dicks, 110 dicks, and they went, hmm, 110 dicks, bit excessive. Thirty dicks that we can get on board with. A
1: hundred and ten dicks. There were never even that many Dalmatians, even with the
0: sequels.
2: That alone justifies the purchase of the of uh, 4K TVs, I think.
0: A hundred and ten locker dicks. I'm I'm doing research on this show and it's dicks. I hate to tell you, at least one of the dicks of one of the main characters is a prosthetic. You'll you'll see one prosthetic dick in those thirty. Aww. Yeah. Grumble, grumble, actor. The other 29 got their dicks out. No, you don't have to get your dick out if you don't want to. It's all right.
1: Some people like them enhanced. Uh, that's... Have I just not been in that many locker rooms in my life? I'll admit, I'm not the sportiest sort of chap. But I I can't imagine where you could stand
0: in a locker room and see over a hundred dicks. From from my historical times in, in the more masculine locker rooms... You might occasionally see one, like, old man dick out. Maybe two if it's a really hot day, but... That's to be expected, yeah. Yeah, you, you get the old man that's, you know, trying to air dry himself on the hand dryer, but that's, like, you're not going to see 110 dicks.
2: Like, what's this locker for? The entire World Cup? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it isn't just me. I, I,
1: It's not weird that I'm alarmed by the thought of 100 dicks in a locker room. As a as a filmic scene, I should say. As yeah. The idea of being in a locker room with a hundred dicks. A hundred eager, eager dicks. Don't sound that bad. But from a filming standpoint, I don't know how you can cop a get
0: at a hundred dicks. I, I feel like it is HBO's panicking about Game of Thrones being gone. It's like, okay, well, we need to be bigger and better than the last thing we did. Does it have bigger and better nudity? 110 dicks.
2: We need to outdo Caligula.
0: It's like saying you'd be able to get 100 dicks in a
1: Woolworths. And a Woolworths was way bigger than a locker room. But the aisles are getting in the way. You can't see through a third of the dicks behind the pick-a-mix, or the dick-a-mix,
0: as it would be in that
2: case. But is there even a porn with 100 dicks in it?
0: I, 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 I 100% guarantee you that exists. I'm going to Google and find out, but I guarantee you that exists. There's porn with a 100-year-old people in it
1: really i saw it in a documentary on channel four once when channel four was doing one of its salacious sex seasons wow and then it, i think it was called something like century sex
2: i remember the days when Eurotrash was the smuttiest thing you'd oh. see on
1: telly euro trash <laughs> oh. was was trash <laughs>
2: hello i'm antoine and this is euro trash.
1: oh what was his name
2: was it antoine or something yeah antoine de Gaulle, maybe or
1: that sounds about right and he had the the fashion designer as a co-host for, like, season one or two.
2: Oh, yeah. Jean-Paul Gaultier was on it. Jean-Paul yeah.
1: Gaultier was on it, yes. Yeah. Um, if you've just joined us, this is the Eurotrash fan cast. Uh, Eurotrash was a 90s show about weird shit going on in Europe, mostly an excuse to show breasts for the audience's pleasure.
2: They regularly had on Lolo, who had, like the size of beach balls
1: yeah yeah that was another thing they were famous for was lolo and the massive breasts that she had that were massive um yeah it was like a magazine style show and they do weird segments on stuff um i think that was the first place i got uh, antiquated that's not the word acquainted with the concept of foot fetishism because they had a whole bit on that and they had another bit with a lady bodybuilder, but I can't remember her name.
0: Was was that the show that was always on at, like, 2am and it would just, like, yeah, it would occasionally just go, here's our, like, fetish of the week. Yes.
2: And I loved how, like, instead of, like, using subtitles or a proper translator when they'd have, like, a French or German person, they'd have, like, this, all right, so... What I love they to did, do is, yes. is put on me gimp suit and, like, stick me dick in his ear.
1: Yeah, they're, they're speaking in, like, French or German faintly behind it, and they're just, oh, you're all right? Oh, oh, me nooks look right big in this. <laughs> what, a, <laughs> what a great, awful show that was. Yeah. I remember um a classroom of mine. I, I went to a school where supply teachers would get fucked. Like, they were just fucked. Fucked if they went into a, a room and tried to wrangle a class. Um, but one supply teacher got away with it because everyone just wanted to ask him about how much he liked Eurotrash because he admitted he watched it. And so, a classroom full of teenage boys, that's the best thing they've ever heard. Mm-hmm. The math teacher watches Eurotrash. <laughs> so instead of actually teaching us math, he just talked about. The various segments on Eurotrash hosted by Antoine Tacon. Nice. <sighs> Eurotrash may have saved that teacher's life.
2: I had a big crush on my, my substitute French teacher, Mademoiselle Bouvier. She was lovely.
1: Oh. I watched a supply teacher have a complete breakdown. It was harrowing. I mean, they got bad. It ended with her fingers shut in the fucking door. It oh, was Jesus. fucking brutal. Wow. I, I went to a. a Fairly shit school. The kind where brass knuckles being confiscated pre-fight was not that uncommon.
2: We we had one who told us, "I'm not becoming a teacher now, and it's because of you fuckers." Nice. I think he failed his because he, he, you know, when the inspector comes in to watch them. Well, I don't know if it's the same in Britain, but that's what happens in Ireland. And uh, we were very badly behaved while his inspector was there, and I think that ruined his career. Oh. Sorry about that. Are You gone, Laura? Oh
0: no, I'm here. I'm just dealing with a work email quickly. Sorry. Uh,
2: I thought you were still. I thought you were still googling porns with a hundred dicks at once. Oh no, I did find a couple of porns with a hundred plus dicks. <laughs> it's like, oh, Laura's gone quiet.
0: Uh, you know, I just had to watch and count the dicks and make sure there <laughs> really were a hundred plus dicks. I can't believe the headlines. Too many dicks.
2: I suppose we should talk about video games.
0: Probably. Eventually, if we ask <laughs> you. Sorry,
1: I was just imagining a hundred dicks in a locker room, and and you're trying to find Waldo in amongst them. <laughs> they should they should redo that. They should do. Where's Wally? But like, where's Willy, Obviously, you'd call it. Yeah. that. Really, Why yeah. wouldn't you call it
0: that? The Viz
1: could publish it.
0: I I hate to tell you, I I think it might exist. I'm I'm pretty sure it exists. Really? You gotta find a specific Willy
1: among all the Willies. Do you remember Wicked Willies? I think they were books, or something. They were basically—it was one of those things where you look at it and you just think, "I, I don't know what the source is. It's just merch at this point." Like Fat Willie Surf Shack. Yeah, but
2: they—they—they—they they, they, they knew well what they were doing when they named that.
0: Oh yeah, Jim. You can buy a used hard cop, uh, hardcover copy of Where's Willie for four pence on Amazon UK.
1: Four pence. <laughs> Four pence. Fucking hell! I tried to get Francis the Firefly and it cost. They, they were going to charge forty-five dollars for it, but I can get Where's Willie for less than a quid. Yeah, four pence. Less than fifty pence. Well, less than literally less than five
0: pence. New pence. The subtitle of that book it, it it's Where's Willie? Have you spotted Dick? Oh, oh, that's a one-two punch. <laughs>
1: the weak jab is Where's Willie? You're like, oh well, that makes sense. Have you spotted Dick? right hook knockout down for the count i i am officially KO'd by that i was not good. i was not interested in buying where's Willie, even for four four pence new pence but for that
0: subtitle they could have a fiver you, you know what my favorite thing about this is is the amazon shop page does have some preview page images and i'm now like oh, brilliant. can i see a cartoon dick on amazon i'm hunt i'm hunting for one why not Jeff Bezos runs
1: it. Oh! Is that, is that I, a satire joke or not?
0: I I don't know if... Is that a... Did I do joke? Oh, I spotted the dick. Oh! I found a dick on an Amazon store page. Great. Well, Great. Should we talk about video games? I mean, we can.
1: <laughs> if everyone's feeling saucy. <sighs> <laughs>
0: okay. Okay. Well, what, what 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 game do we want to talk about? I know what one I want to talk about this week. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Ah, uh, I've been really enjoying that Cadence of Hyrule. It's good. It's real good. It's good. Yeah. So for anybody who's not aware of this at all, like the 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 summary I'll I'll give is, I think it was 2015. This indie company came out with a game called Crypt of the Necrodancer, which was a top-down adventure game that you had to play in time with the soundtrack. You had to, like, hop between squares and attack things in time with the music. Here's a fun mental image for you. I tried that on a dance pad. How did that go? Not well. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it it was a pretty brutal roguelike. It was very punishing. Like, the original Crypt of the Necrodancer was very, like, you fucking lose everything if you die. Start right the fuck over. Get back to the beginning. And... Somehow this indie dev has convinced Nintendo to let them basically make a Zelda version of it. Uh, For anyone who tried Crypt of the Necrodancer and found it like impossibly difficult, this is definitely toned down in difficulty quite a lot. Um, There's a lot of concessions made to make it feel more like a Zelda game and be less punishing, Um, You don't lose like your collected heart containers, your hookshot, your bow and arrow, your uh, new swords. Any of your like world progression or stuff that makes you a a stronger character doesn't get lost between runs. Uh, The world doesn't randomize between deaths and you've got warp points so that you can continue exploring the world. Like it, it is fairly forgiving. It's not expecting you to do 10, 15, 20... Like start from scratch yeah. runs before you finish this thing.
1: I prefer the roguelikes that do it like that. Like, yeah, you know, that's part of what got me into the Binding of Isaac was the fact that yeah. as you played, you naturally got things for keeps. That's,
0: that the the thing with this is like you you do lose some stuff upon death. Like I think all you lose is you lose your rupees, which are for buying certain items on the the overworld and i think you lose your ammunition so you might lose like arrows or bombs
1: you lose like yeah like like perishables basically consumables
0: yeah but the vast majority of your stuff stays between runs so it's it's not overly punishing in that regard
1: and you can use the the diamonds that you get to keep to buy some consumables yeah when you you know before you walk back into the game after death so there, there are some concessions made to make this one a lot more readily accessible and and give a sense of progression a lot more.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the smartest thing they did was that whole. They do randomize the overworld at the start of a run, at like at the start of a save file, but they don't randomize it heavily within the save file. Mm-hmm. Like occasionally in a dungeon, there might be a combat-based floor that might uh, shuffle each time you go to it, but largely like finding your way around the world isn't going to shuffle up so that that really helps yeah there are areas you can go into where it
1: clearly feels a lot more random yes um but but being able to get used to each screen as you play it that certainly helped me get into this more than i did with um than i thought i was going to honestly because it was a little tricky and i uh Especially seemingly as I just get older I found myself um, less patient with uh, a lot of visual information and stuff Um, Mm. So the various combos of enemies can sometimes combine to be really annoying Because of their different movements and that
0: Yeah, there was a couple of flaws toward the end of the final dungeon That I really fucking struggled with some of the enemy combos Yeah, Um, but the fact that they... uh, Each screen stays
1: as it is means you can practice a lot more, which helped me a lot. Once I actually got used to dealing with each enemy as it comes and learning its movement patterns at a at a more gradual pace i i came to enjoy it quite a lot
2: my patience level with roguelites is the first time i die and have to start over i quit the game forever <laughs>
0: fair <laughs> I, enough that, <laughs> yeah. that's that's fair like i i was i was curious when playing this whether this would be something you would enjoy with its roguelike stuff being as minimized as as it is no
2: i i couldn't even i couldn't even get into hollow knight for that reason and that's an objectively <laughs> great game
0: that's that's totally fair um yeah I really fucking enjoyed this game
2: It's a funny one though isn't it Because like it's not There are ways to kind of shortcut back to where you were And stuff and it's, but it's not I, There's something psychologically It does something to me that I have to start over Every time that just makes me so mad
0: well, <laughs> the, the, the way I Tend to picture this one because it's so like Screens based It's very much like the, the original Legend of Zelda Where you go off the side of the screen And then it loads a new square mm. That Every two or three rooms or squares you clear, you'll find one of these Sheikah stones that becomes a new walk point. So it's like, okay, I can restart here if I want. It ended up, like, at least to me, feeling more like a checkpoint system for like, okay, I died, go back to the last checkpoint.
2: Here's what I don't get about that, right? Why not just make them checkpoints?
0: I honestly think in this, they, they, they very largely, that is how they function. Um... Like, you have a pause in between where it's like you have, do do you want to buy stuff using the you've died, now here's a shop okay. f- screen, and then you just go back to the checkpoint. That's all that really happens is, mm-hmm. oh, you lost your consumables, like your arrows and your bombs, here is the special shop that you get because you died, back to the checkpoint. Mm-hmm. Which, I, I get it may not feel that way for everyone, but to me it... It didn't feel drastically different mechanically from from just being a checkpoint. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it took me about six hours to finish my first playthrough, which is not super long. I was super okay with that. Um, I've seen some people complaining about the length, going, oh, it's, what, 20, 20-something quid, and it only took six hours to beat. I've, I've never been a big lover of that whole length versus price comparison. Um, The thing that I think really sold it for me was I really like the idea of a Zelda game that has a fun gimmick to it that I can finish in a couple of sittings and a couple of months from now when I go, you know what, I'm really fancying, fancying a bit of Zelda again. I can have another six hour setting overworld map completely jigged around so that it's, you know, feels a bit like a fresh experience and jump in again. I, I'm super okay with that. And I like that there's a Zelda game that I can play as Princess Zelda and just murder everything, and be like, oh, there's a side quest to go wake up Link so that he can help? Nope, he's staying in bed. <laughs> just save the world without him.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a really fun game, and I do like that, depending on what who you play as and what you get, you can certainly find weapons that are make dealing with it a lot easier plus you can turn the Mm. uh, i believe you can turn the the beat requirements off so you can just play it like a more regular roguelike if you want
0: yeah you can turn it to i think it's called fixed beat mode where instead of having to keep in rhythm with the music uh enemies move one tile when you move one tile yeah um which makes it more like you can take your time and treat it almost like a strategy game at that point but I enjoy doing it to the rhythm.
1: Yeah, that makes it a very much uh, a very classic roguelike style. Yeah. Um but yeah, like I, I I haven't been tempted to try it yet because I feel like it defeats the the object of the game, yeah. it defeats what makes the game you know really worth checking out.
0: Yeah. I here's the thing, I've played it through as Zelda and I've started a playthrough as Link. And when I finished both of those, Down the line, I might try a permadeath run uh, in that fixed beat mode so that I can stop and think and treat it almost like a permadeath um, top-down strategy game just to see if that helps me to really get a grip on those enemy movement patterns and how best to deal with them Yeah. before I then go back in in the future to go, okay, I'm confident I know what I'm doing, now let's try it. In time with the music in permadeath. see if that's doable. That's the thing. The fact that I'm I'm looking at this game, going like, oh, I can I can already see how I might wring more content out of this, is a good feeling.
1: Yeah, it was a good uh, it was a good marriage of ideas because Zelda Zelda music is is so well known and, and beloved that its appearance in any sort of music themed game. Is always something good. I talked about this when I did my impressions video of it. Um, you know, the best thing about Donkey Konga was playing the the, the main Zelda theme on it. Um, just smashing those big plastic
0: bongos. Oh, God, I fucking so love good. Donkey Konga. Mm-hmm. It's so great, right?
1: Donkey Konga. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like... And because, of course, um, Crypto the Necrodancer is very top down action adventure mm. uh, dungeon crawling thing the marriage is really quite clever it really is a very um, very well uh, married pair is necrodancer and zelda so yeah they pulled it off really well I it was really really quite good yeah. quite charming game i don't know if i'll ever finish it but yeah uh, i've enjoyed what i've played i'm not very good at it but i've enjoyed what i've played
0: uh, what else we played this week um have you played anything this week, Gab?
2: No, I actually didn't really play any video games this week. Sorry <laughs> how dare you yeah. how dare I like turned on fallout four for half an hour, and that was about it. I'm sorry. I was working and I was drinking, and I was planning a wedding, so
0: <laughs> that is totally fair explanations um
2: and they they all fed into each other all those things, especially <laughs> the planning, the wedding, and the drinking,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jim, I know you've played a game you're really fucking enjoying oh, this week. Oh, I'm loving it. Do you want to? Do you want to start talking about that one? On
1: Monday, my copy of Bloodstained: uh, Ritual of the Night showed up. Um, I, I backed it on Kickstarter, predominantly out of spite, um, because it was positioned at the time as a very, uh, very um, opposing. In, in, an antagonistic uh, in 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 some measure toward Konami because, of course, Konami is Konami and Konami is the worst. So they weren't really doing anything of note with Castlevania. Like with all of their other good properties, they've been too busy turning stuff into pachinko machines. So um, Igarashi was like, well, fuck that. I will just make literally a Castlevania game and call it something else. And that's exactly what he did with Bloodstained. It isn't even trying to hide it. It's even got knights that throw axes that boomerang back to the knights, so he throws them again, like what's in all of the Castlevania games. You don't give a fuck. They're a Medusa heads, but they're like little helmets with eyes. Um, mechanically, exactly the same. Uh, looks and feels and plays almost to the letter, like Castlevania Symphony of the Night. And all of this is great. It's exactly what it needed to be—a Castlevania in all but name—and it is exactly that.
0: Um, I-, I love it. It's un- uncannily Castlevania in places. Like, I, I, I am amazed that, like, I, I know it's the Castlevania dude doing it, but I am impressed that we haven't yet had Konami try and go. You made Castlevania. We own that about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I you know, I, I guess
1: before you can even put the game out, you've got to already have worked out how to avoid that. Um, and near as I can tell, you know, because they call it a Metroidvania-style game, um, there's not a lot Konami can lay claim to outside of the explicit intellectual property. Yeah,
2: They they don't own Medusa.
1: Yeah, they certainly don't own a lot of the, the monsters, and all of the monsters are original in design in Bloodstained. Uh, even though there are some clear nods to Castlevania characters, like clear ones. Um, but, of course, there's that other double fuck you of the fact that one of the characters is is voiced by David Hayter uh, of Metal Gear Solid fame, uh, also something of a s- s- somewhat abandoned, although Kojima is seemingly partly to blame as well for just leaving Hater out in the cold with um, Phantom Pain. So it was good to hear him. It's great to hear his voice in the game again. It's been too long. Um, it's it's a really good game. It's so absurd and it knows it is, because um, it's got that typical you know, camp gothic storyline. Uh, but you can also just find a Santa hat and wear that. It doesn't care that it's breaking the quote unquote immersion of it. Um, at one point, I was wearing a gas mask and a Santa hat, running around fighting big bouncy dog heads on chains. Um, like some of the creatures in the Castlevania games As they got on got weird Now not even chained to the vaguely grounding concept of Dracula They've just gone wild with it They've just gone stupid but in a good way um, Utterly ridiculous monsters uh, One that featured prominently in my impressions was uh, a Shovel Knight and it was just Shovel Knight, but made in a, a big burly monstrous way, shoveling dirt at you. Uh, it's got all of the classic stuff. It's, you know, it's got the the idea of exploring a, a map with various areas that you come back to once you've got new gear. Uh it's got the what I really loved from the Game Boy games where you fight monsters and at random points they'll drop a a specific magic ability that you can equip that is themed around that monster. Uh, from like summoning monsters to growing their weapons or doing their spells, all sorts of cool stuff. Um, fairly decent crafting system, food preparation system, um, upgrades and stuff for the various uh, spells and that you collect. Looks great. Some people have criticised it, but I think it looks lovely. I love how colourful it is and how resplendent some of the environments look. Uh, I like the, obviously, I I, I love the, the art direction of it overall, those aforementioned monster designs. The music is stunning. Again, shameless in, in its allusion to uh, games like Symphony of the Night. Um, but this game is positioned openly as a, as a spiritual successor to that game. And they nailed it. It is everything I wanted it to be. It is probably my favourite game so far this year that I've played. Um, I am interested that some people said that it looked slow or the combat looked bad uh, when to me it feels again exactly like Symphony of the Night so I don't know if this is an example of systems in classic games just not uh, being as well received if they're outside of the game they're famous in Um, but it felt so faithful to me and I'm fine with that uh feels great to play. I love all the different weapons and abilities and messing around. Uh, bloody good game. Bloody good. Really like it. So, yeah, I'm happy with that. Um, it was nice to have a, a Kickstarter campaign that I actually backed that turned out well. Uh, we Happy Few did not turn out so well. Um, there was another one as well. I, 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 maybe I did back the ukulele, but I did not like that at all. Uh, and there was another game I backed, The Miskatonic, which I ended up never covering because they completely changed genre to a genre I'm not interested in. Um, but Bloodstained was a big success, in my opinion. Plus, when you kill a certain monster type, he has this long drone at death where he goes, "E," Then just looks to the sky and shakes his hands as if he's so annoyed at dying and goes,
2: ooooh!
0: And it never gets old. I, I started playing it. And I played enough to go, this feels so Castlevania, I am going to love this. And I put it down because I'm going to wait for the Switch version because I really want to play it through on Switch. But Mm. I played enough to go, this is everything I was hoping it would be. Thank you. I'm excited to play this in a week. Yeah. Only real
1: major issues I've found is, even though I feel the game's pretty polished, there are a few... There is at least one platform where you clip through it and it just feels not like a glitch so much as an oversight, like they just forgot to add some substance to it, or at least shave, because it's a jump you can make, but you're deceived into thinking you can actually uh, land sooner than you can. Um, and there is quite a bit at times typo typoing going on with the dialogue text. Um Nothing that breaks the game in any way, shape or form, but it looks sloppy when you see multiple spelling mistakes in the dialogue text. Uh, always looks a bit shoddier to me than even some more affecting glitches that happen in games. Um, but that's stuff that could easily be fixed. And, it, and like I say, it's it's not so pervasive that you think it was, you know, written by throwing an orange at a typewriter. Uh, it's just every now and then you're like, oh, that's more than one in in a single... Dialogue tree that shouldn't be happening, um, but other than that, fantastic. I've been struggling to put it down. I hate that I'm doing this right now. I could be playing Bloodstained.
2: Okay,
0: bye. <laughs> Why not do it? Play it while pl- play it while you while you're on air. Why not? Wouldn't
1: work because I would instantly throw my headphones away so I can listen to the music.
0: <laughs> Such
1: a good soundtrack. God damn. <sighs> it's nice. It's nice to see that the Castlevania is preserved. Yeah. It might have to go by a different name, but this is no doubt Castlevania, and it's the Castlevania Konami was too much of a shit to not want to produce.
0: It's nice when you get those. Here is a spiritual reimagining of a thing, and it actually feels like the thing that it's be- that is being remade. Like every time you get something like a ukulele or a, a mighty number no. nine, that's what you want. You want to pick it up and go. This isn't the character I know. This isn't the name I know, but it feels like the game I know. Yeah. And so few of them get that right.
1: Now I've just uh, I've got two other things I can remember off the top of my head that I've got crowdfunded in the works. That's Blasphemous, which looks beautiful, so I hope it turns out well. And um, The Good Life, which is the sweary 65 oh, thing. Oh, Good Life. And I've already played that really early demo that just showed off concepts of it and even that
0: was entertaining. That was was that the one where you just run around the town and talk to people? I think you solve some light puzzling, like light stuff. It, it was mainly just here is an environment, get a feel. You got to stop
1: a car or do something with a car,
0: can't quite remember. It was a very it was a very pretty little demo. Yeah.
1: And, and Swear is earned my trust with, S- with swear his work. is a good boy. You know, Deadly Premonition, of course, is one of my favourites. And uh, I really like D4 as well. I thought D- D4 was fantastic.
0: D4 was fascinating. Yeah. And it, it, it breaks my heart that that never got finished properly.
1: Yeah, that sucks. Because, yeah, it's yeah. So, so clearly is an episodic thing. And, and the ending just, you know was abrupt
0: yeah it very abruptly peters out but like what is there is so good yeah this is why i'm happy to
1: see guys like sweary go to the crowdfunding well because their work does not quite have the same chance in in a triple a environment
0: exactly um so yeah what what happened this week what things what things happened uh i'm having a look I can't remember if we talked about it this week, I, the, a lot of people who like Pokemon got very upset this week. Because the new Pokemon's not going to have every single one of the Pokemon in it. People are very upset about that. A lot of people are like, oh this is the end of the world, Pokemon is not a good game anymore, etc. Um, I get why people are upset. Pokemon as a franchise has spent the last decade plus going, hey, the whole thing is that you can always bring your collection forward to the next game, and, you know, you'll always have all of your Pokemon that you've ever caught forever, and, yeah, I can see how it feels like a letdown. I know for myself, having gone and got all those shinies in Let's Go, and I was like, oh yeah, I'll do that, I'll be able to bring them forward to the next game. I was a little bit disappointed to go, oh, that shiny collection might just kind of get stuck, here for now and that's uh, it's Whatever but I think The level of vitriolic anger I have seen has been mildly Terrifying yeah Pokemon makes people get super mad
2: Take that sentence And repeat it and there's what I just basically think about all of gaming For the last couple of weeks
0: <laughs> ah, That's fair Oh Fallout 76 people finally got their canvas Bags six months later Wow they, they arrived before the NPCs did at least I I genuinely forgot that that was the thing they promised people <laughs> and I'm surprised that they didn't, like... There's a bit of me that assumed that they were just like, we'll say we'll send them canvas bags. We won't because will forget about it by then, but we'll say we will. I mean, the great canvas shortage of Northern
1: America must have hit pretty hard. Because I know unavailability of materials. The unavailability of canvas in the Americas oh. was what stopped them doing this in the first fucking place. <laughs> But yeah, um, as I was doing my post-mortem video on Fallout 76, which went out last week, uh, as I was doing that, they confirmed they were just about to send the bags out. Um, But yeah, in the months since, it was easy to forget that that was ever a... That there was ever supposed to be a follow-up. Yeah. Because everyone just
0: remembers the meat of the bag situation. I I forgot they they agreed to send bags out. I remember the bit where they were going to give you a fiver, an in-game currency, which wasn't enough to buy (sighs) an in-game bag.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you couldn't get the 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 mail carrier outfit that had the bag. That was great. (laughs) I love how Bethesda's... Bethesda manages to amplify its own bad situations.
0: Yeah, like, putting out a press release to say we're sending out the canvas bags has just reminded everyone, oh, yeah, they did do that shitty thing, huh? There was that
1: too, yeah. They could have just, like, quite... But then again, I guess it's to stop people keep asking them. Yeah. You know, news articles and stuff, wanting to write about them for updates. Because I think that that's what happened recently, is someone reached out to them to to be like, hey, what's going on with these bags? And then... It, it became apparent that they were just about to send them out, um, but yeah, they've got those, those at least now, at last, and at least, and and who just just think months from now there will be Fallout content in Fallout seventy six. So
0: Bethesda's oh. bringing home the bacon. Do Do we know when that Fallout content with the NPCs and the actual things to do is coming to Fallout? Did they give a date for that? I want. I, I feel like it's September. Something after the summer? Yeah.
1: I'm just going off the top of my head. I could be wrong, but I think it's about then.
0: Yeah, it feels right.
1: So still waiting for him for a bit, for a minute.
0: It's still a promise on a roadmap. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah, this has been a weird old week in games because, like, it, it always is after E3. There is, like, we we did all the news... No one wants to put games out because they'll get swamped under E3, so not much comes out. It's been a weird limbo this week.
1: Yeah, people liked our big, long discussion last week. Yeah. Uh, They also really liked that we did put that limiter on the recording, so the sound levels were a lot better. Oh, it worked. Apparently so, yeah. People have been... Good, good, good. People said nice things about that, so that was
0: good. Hooray! We 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 worked out how to make the podcast sound right. Yeah. Four and a half years in...
2: You're welcome. Yeah.
0: See, if only you could have told us this four and a half years ago, Gav.
2: I know, right?
0: See, maybe if you listened back to the show, you'd know. (laughs) Oh, who does that? I don't want to do that. It's
1: bad
2: enough
0: doing it
1: the first time.
0: I I I did it when I edited the show back in the day. Yeah.
2: It's bad enough listening to us once.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. We we
1: have to live that truth. Other people only get to experience it secondhand. They don't get the nightmare from my perspective. And I have to be with myself 24 hours a day. Think about that. Think about how annoying people believe me to be.
0: Rightly. You
2: poor bastard.
0: Right? (laughs) 24-7. I get no escape. I'm having a look at what's what's meant to be coming out, like, coming up soon in games. There's the mystery of the Pitchford Millions. Oh! Oh, I, I saw a headline about this. There, didn't someone give evidence that he'd been smuggling money to his other company? Well, here's the thing. It's, it's not as underhanded as that. It's just weird.
1: Um... But it does counteract a statement Gearbox put out, so they've been caught in a bit of a lie. Um, so basically, Randy Bobanti, and I'm, I'm basing this. I'm going to write an Agatha Christie-style suspense murder mystery one day, and it's going to be called the Mystery of the Randy Millions, and it's going to be about this mysterious twelve million bucks.
0: Oh, it, this is the one that was like there was a lawsuit about or something.
1: Yes, yes. Basically, uh, former Gearbox counsel uh, Wade Callender and Randy Pitchford have sued each other. So there are these two lawsuits going about about how Calendar dicks Randy out of money and about how Randy is just a dick and does things with money. Um... This is where the, the whole story about the porn left on a flash drive at a medieval times came out. Yeah. Um, Randy Pitchford put squirt porn on a flash drive, the same flash drive that had sensitive work documents on it. Uh,
0: this, this also overlapped with that story about the, uh, the claptrap voice actor that made a lot of allegations. He kept referencing that 12 million. He made, yeah, David Eddings when
1: and this is another situation where someone just made things worse for themselves, where Eddings was talking yeah. about not coming back to voice claptrap. Pitchford decided to kick off about it on twitter and eddings fired back with right remember that time you physically assaulted me and then just uh yeah among the 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 accusations with eddings uh the 12 mil came up so gearbox's response to this this idea that randy pitchford had siphoned off uh, 12 million dollars for himself uh, they said that that claim had no basis in reality uh or law um and it turns out it does have a basis in reality. Whether it does in law is another matter entirely, but but the 12 million exists. The fact that it went privately to Randy Pitchford is a documented fact. Uh-huh. And here's where it gets strange because what he did doesn't look illegal, at least in terms of him doing anything deceptive or trying to steal money. He owns Gearbox, he, he's a 50% owner of Gearbox. He also owns another company, um, was it Pitchford Entertainment, Media and Magic, PEM. um, And he was due a $12 million bonus from 2K Games for meeting certain milestones with uh, with Borderlands. And instead of the money going to the Gearbox account like it was going to, he had 2K Games send it to uh, Pitchford Entertainment, Media and Magic. And that's where the contention comes in because uh wade calendar the lawyer is suggesting that that money belonged to gearbox and pitchford is siphoning it off for himself yes the documents show it exists and that it's weird it's a strange thing to do it looks shady yeah but 2K Games, it looks like they signed off on it. So it's just an odd situation. But it doesn't help Randy Pitchford, who is known for being a liar, yeah. when they say this claim has no basis in reality and it's there. And when we do find it's there, there's nonetheless something weird and shady going on with it.
0: Yeah. So the, the as I understand it, the allegation from uh, from Eddings that later came was that... Basically, because the, the the Gearbox bonus, you know, was, was for work done at Gearbox, it should have been paid to Pitchford at Gearbox, because then that goes into Gearbox's overall profits, which means that when they do the end of year, like, the, the profit shares for the company, people would have had slightly higher profit shares within the company because Gearbox would have had more income.
1: And that's likely the argument that Callant is going to make here, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's also seemingly like that, it seems like that's maybe what Eddings is referencing when he says that he wasn't given proper royalties for the work he did on Claptrap, is it seems like he maybe feels that he is owed his, what would have been his share had Gearbox had an extra 12 million in the bank, and that that's what he was asking for in order to come back for clap chat for borderlands three.
1: Yeah. I mean, we just think about how big a sum that is. And it's not just 12 million. There was another 3 million going to, um, uh, is it Steven ball? Someone ball. they the co-founder gearbox. Mm. He was getting 3 million as well. And I believe the whole 15 mil went to pen. Um, they, uh, game daily.biz, uh, broke the story and they, they spoke with, um, a, a, a lawyer just to get an outside opinion on it and he said that you know if 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 pitchford wasn't ceo he'd have had to have um at the very least it would have been advisable to take this to people who are invested in the company but do not have a a direct invested interest in this bonus Mm. basically a disinterested party in the company to find out if all of this is above board but it doesn't look like that was done because he owns the company. But because he owns Gearbox as well as this other company, it it doesn't look as insidious as you might hear when you hear Randy Pitchford Siphoned Money. That looks like straight-up embezzlement, or sounds like straight-up embezzlement. Yeah. Whereas the documentation shows something more complex, but altogether still dodgy, and coupled with the original statements from Gearbox has only further tanked Gearbox's standing and certainly, as Game Daily uh, pointed out, the court of public opinion.
0: Yeah, it it definitely doesn't help the idea that, like, you know, nothing at all happened. Something was going on. And Gearbox didn't want to come out and say, here's our side of it and let's let's explain the ins and outs of everything we did. They would rather go, oh, no, no, nothing, no, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And let's face it, it's...
1: No company wants to be seen openly defending $12 million bonuses to executives, to CEOs. Yeah. To CEOs getting $12 million bonuses, especially if, you know, there's talk of of people in the company not getting the right profit share or royalties or whatever. Um, it's just a bad look. So I guess they maybe felt it was better to just say... Because I, I know they can make some sort of argument that... Well, when we said it had no basis in reality, we meant the the whole allegation or whatever. But they really made it sound like that 12 mil accusation came out of literal nowhere.
0: Yeah, The, the, the 12 million just never existed in any way, shape or form.
1: Yeah, so it's just another, another... Another example of Randy Pitchford in the news for something that isn't really about Borderlands Three, but is more about him being a com- a continuing ass ring circus.
0: Yeah. Uh oh, So after we recorded last week's episode, um, there was a brief update I wanted to hit on on the whole CD Projekt Red uh thing mm-hmm. that happened last week with the uh, the the advert with the trans woman with the very very hi- hyper detailed veiny penis situation there was a statement made by someone at E3 uh who worked on the poster for that and I wanna I wanna get out there that like I have seen the the response which the artist's response was oh no it's meant to be some commentary about how in the future corporations use hypersexuality to sell things to any demographic that will buy it and you know the player and the audience are supposed to look at that and go oh that's 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 way too far over sexualization, that's, you know, we shouldn't stand for that. That's a bad thing that corporations are doing. Except, that holds no fucking water. Because if you went to E3 or Gamescom last year as press, and went to see the uh, the gameplay demo for, ge- for uh, Cyberpunk, they were handing out barely clothed lady statues with big knives coming out, out of their wrists, because the people who make CD Projekt Red, use over sexualization to sell their games. So I, I feel like that someone cuts down your message that your piece of art is trying to make a big statement about how sexualizing people is bad. Cause clearly your corporation that makes your game is using sexualization to sell its game. And you don't think that's bad, it seems.
1: I mean, yeah. I can't argue with any of that. Yeah. And on a on a note of um how to use imagery to make um, social commentary. If you just show the thing that is already in our society normalised to the point where most people don't think about it, and if you're just showing it there as a background part of your world, you're not making a statement about it, you're just replicating. Yeah. You're just replicating what is already so normal that people consider it, you know, with total banal obliviousness. Uh, I've often said, like, about video games that try and do satire, like, when they make fun of gaming tropes, like, oh, look at this boring side quest where you've got to kill ten rats. And they just make you do that same side quest. But because they're aware they've done it, that makes it commentary. No, you've just replicated the thing. Yeah. Just saying, you know, you did it only means you what well, you knew what you were doing while you were doing it. Yeah. You have to actually do something with the imagery. Rather than simply replicate The
0: the other thing I wanted to address Because I saw a few people are, are telling me about this After my discussion of it last week Was um, I saw some people trying to make the argument That this was an offhand image in the background Of a shot that was never meant to be a discussion point And was never meant to, you know Evoke controversy And people are just looking for, you know Trying to find things to to be, you know To have opinions on uh, there are photos and videos from inside C D Project Red's booth at E three. This image was very huge blown up on a wall. Like they clearly wanted this to be a talking point. Like, this this was not an offhand image that got used once in an NVIDIA ray tracing screenshot. C D Project Red knew this would get discussion, which is why I don't feel bad discussing it. I'm like, okay, if you want discussion, I'll give opinions.
1: Well that's it. I mean if you and this is what a lot of people don't seem to get. A lot of people that are like Talk about free speech when when some art is criticised. Um, if you, especially if you decided that you are doing social commentary, which by their statement of "oh, we're talking about hypersexualized media," they're having a conversation about social commentary. You're gonna invite criticism. You're gonna have people talking about both good and bad, and you've got to be fine with that. Yeah. And the thing is, I think a lot of people at CD Projekt Red are probably fine with it because, like you said, they're probably getting exactly what they want. Yeah. And it's weird that other people will, will you know, get defensive on their behalf when ultimately this is kind of what they want to begin with. Yeah. If you do social commentary, then you're going to get a big discussion.
0: Yeah. I
1: know that bloody hell. Yeah. Uh,
0: to... to- to play the other side of that that thing, uh, there have been comments made this week that the game will contain trans and non-binary characters. and as I've said, sh- the the main game itself may have more context that fleshes out that stuff, and I am totally willing to see a version of this game in which like actual trans and non-binary characters exist to give context to the hypersexualized fetishised images that are being blown up in these adverts in the game. And I want to be proven wrong. I would like to be proven wrong. I would love. It would that. be great if I was proven wrong. I'm not looking to, you know, for it to go wrong.
1: I don't enjoy being awkward around cyber. I really want to just in. Uh, this is me saying this, right? Yeah. I would really just like to enjoy a video
0: game. Imagine that. Yeah. I would like to just like this without having to think about it. And I want to be proven wrong. So like I, I'm not looking to, you know, to dislike it. I I I want to. To be like, ah, I get the final game, and it turns out I was worried over nothing. But
1: I'll, I'll say what I said last week. I really want to like CD Projekt Red. I really want them to address concerns about, you know, work environments and stuff like this, these issues. Um, I'd really like them to properly work it out, because they do make really good games, and they don't do a lot of the you know, big budget mainstream publisher bullshit.
2: Just one thing there, I just, am yeah. loath to wade into this conversation because I feel I'm not, the things that people are angry are, are not things I'm even qualified to discuss a lot of the time. But uh, I will say one thing in that the games marketing department doing one thing doesn't necessarily negate the artist's yeah, that that lady's intention when she painted the poster. That
0: that is definitely a fair comment to make. I will take that on board. True.
2: It's like we talk about with the whole prepare to die thing. Kind of dilutes. Yeah. Dark Souls. You know.
0: I I I I agree with you that 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 artist may genuinely believe what they said, if, regardless of the difference with what the marketing materials have promoted. But from the outside, having not seen the full game, those two things do I think sit side by side. Like I think I don't uh, I think it is fair to criticize that both of those exist within one build up to a game's release. I I very much do see your point though, Gab. I think it is a good point to make. Thank you for that. Um but yeah, before we finish up, couple couple of games I didn't realize were so close to coming out. That Judgment's coming out this week. Mhm. It's on what June 25th?
1: I think so. I will have uh, impressions up um Blimey, tomorrow? Yes, uh, I'll have the impressions up tomorrow. It's really good.
0: Well, in that case, I I does tomorrow is in like tomorrow from when we're recording this or from when it goes up?
1: Yeah, it should be tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Do
0: you have any thoughts you want to share on it? Um, I mean, I already did really with with
1: previous episodes, but it's fantastic. Does it continue to be how you felt about it then? Yes, it 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 is. Uh, it's. Yakuza with a, a slightly different spin. Again, I still have criticisms about things like lockpicking and tailing missions, which is just, we see them so many times in modern video games, we did not need it here. Lockpicking minigames, what video game really needs that? Very few video games genuinely need more lockpicking. We've
2: actually been seeing less tailing missions in video games and there's a good reason for it.
1: Yeah, it's part of, you know, what makes them such a an egregious thing in Judgment. They're just so not needed. Um there are other ways you can make him look like a private detective without doing boring things.
2: I really hope uh I really hope Starfield and Elder Scrolls next one like changes up the lockpicking minigame. Cause it's been the same now for like how many ga- We've had Skyrim, New Vegas, Fallout 4, Fallout 3 all had that same lockpicking minigame.
1: It's the one thing they're
2: consistent with. It's the first thing I mod when I start a playthrough of those games now is to just have it automatically unlock.
1: Yeah. There are two different types of lockpicking minigame in uh, Judgment. But those things get egregious at little points in the game. But much of the game is still just classic Yakuza stuff running around doing weird side missions. And, and it, they've done so many of these these games now, and yet they always have the imagination for some other bizarre, stupid situation for the characters to find themselves in. And they always still manage to have a fairly serious um, mystery story running through the main plot. Um, it's got all of that. Uh, yeah, Judgment is really, really good. If you like Yakuza, you you're gonna still like this unless you've gotten bored of the formula by now um that i haven't just because the bits i go to it for for the the eccentric stories and the weird humor is always new to me and they always find some new way to baffle me um yeah it's it's just really good to be playing it again i i've got seemingly for the moment infinite patience about those games with the frequency they come out with them yeah and they managed to do just enough to keep me intrigued you know like doing a fist of the north star spin or doing this new character and everything yeah not a lot more i can say about that i haven't tried the english voiceover yet i've heard they're good but it feels weird to have a game set especially as steeped in um japanese flavor as as that series it's, it feels a bit weird to do the English voiceovers, but I, I I guess I'd better check them out at some point.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm excited to check that game out. It'll be out before next episode of this, so hopefully next time we record, I should be able to share my thoughts as well. Hooray! I'm looking forward to it. You've got me excited about this one. Oh, yeah.
1: It's worth it. Like I say, it's a slow start, and I was disappointed at first. I was hoping the game wouldn't keep the pace it was keeping and uh, it would get a bit more side story action going. Once it hits chapter two, it's almost immediate. It's weird that they set it up the way they did. Some other Yakuza games have had slightly slow turns, but they always hit a a, a sequence fairly early on where you're just like, okay, this is all slotted into place and this is brilliant. Yakuza uh, Judgment takes a whole chapter to do it, but once it gets past that, oh, oh, it's just like old times. Really good. Um, nice. My recommendation, maximize your friendship level with the guy who runs the, the beef bowl place because you'll get the um, the uh, skill to be able to eat as much food as you want, which for some reason you've got to unlock here. Um, but once you get that, you can then go through other friend events because a lot of them are with restaurants so much quicker. Mm. So, yeah, judgment, thumbs up, really good stuff. Another contender for best of the year. Between that and Bloodstained, I've been spoiled this month.
0: Oh, Nice. Is that is that about
1: it for us this week then? I think that's about it for us. Yes, uh, Laura. Where can people find all of your things that that you do and all of that?
0: Me and all my stuff. Laura K Buzz on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, and Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. If you can chuck as little as a dollar a month, that's super appreciated. Um, I'm 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 getting there. It's getting to the where it needs to be. But any support that anyone can offer is super appreciated. Nothing is gated behind it. Um, you can find everything I'm doing at the moment on laurakbuzz.com, that's videos, podcasts, written articles, everything's going up there. In in under a month, my, my first book, Uncomfortable Labels, is coming out. Um, that will be on July 18th. You can pre-order that from various online stores, you can pre-order an audiobook for it. If you backed me on Patreon, you can get a discount code for the audiobook. Um... I'm going to be at CoXCon in a few weeks where I might have some copies of that book ahead of its official release date to sell if anyone's there. Um... Things I Learned From Mario's Butt, that is a that is a coffee table book about video game character butts that will hopefully be out at, at the end of the summer. I'm on Tonal Whiplash, it's an interview podcast where I ask alternating serious and silly questions to interesting guests. And Laura K. Buzz Will Be On My Brother, My Brother and Me is a podcast that you should probably listen to, I would suggest, within the next three weeks. Um, Dice Funk, it's a Dungeons & Dragons podcast Season 6 has just started It's a self-contained story I play a little trash gremlin that murders people It's great I think that's it, at the moment I'm doing a lot of shit Good, Good, and Gavin
1: Music, the music man, he does the music Where can we hear all of that and follow you around?
2: Find all my songs on YouTube On Spotify, on everything Under Miracle of Sound And you can support me on Patreon under the same name. And I just released a whole bunch of new merch stuff. And it's the first time I've been able to confidently say this, that my new merch looks very good. And uh, I'm very happy with it. So it's miracleofsound.fanfiber.com, And uh, you can get t-shirts and mugs and hoodies and tracky pants and caps and all that kind of stuff. So. (laughs) go buy some because it helps keep me in a job if you like the music because i know a lot of people who listen to this podcast don't even have never even heard my music so only buy it if you're a fan of the music
0: <laughs> but bu- buy it if you're a fan of, of of the one song he did commander shepherd
2: <laughs> laura you'll be you'll be <laughs> broken hearted to know that's not one of the t-shirts unfortunately
0: oh, oh no it, Ah, oh, what will I do? I do? I don't know any other of your songs, Gap. Huh.
2: Even had I wanted to, you'd be getting into dodgy <laughs> legal waters there probably. So.
0: Just me, I know that one. Having having had a lovely two-hour call with a lawyer today, I know that feeling. Mm.
1: Alrighty, righty. Um, yeah, not a lot from me. You know my where's and whereabouts. Um, thank you, as always, for your support, for sharing
2: all of the whatnots. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.